Okay, so what we want to do tonight is we want to explore the idea of tshuva, which literally translated means um, to return. And that's quite interesting because a return implies um, that a person was at a, at a state, he'd already, no, when I say I'm, I'm returning home, so it means that this is a place where I was, and I'm going back to. You can't return to a place you've never been to. Which is a very interesting point, because many times you perceive the idea of spiritual advancement as um, a change and a deviation, as opposed to a reclaiming. So, I mean, I think step number one is to frame tshuva as the way I would des- describe it, as a reclaiming of our authentic self. And I'd like to begin with a very perplexing um, statement which is, which is presented by one of the writings in the Gomorrah. It says that um, this idea of tshuva is powerful that it brings healing to the world. It brings refua in Hebrews. It brings refua le'olam. It brings healing to the world. That when uh, people do tshuva, they return to the state of what we call the authentic self. So it's not only referring to themselves, but there's a global impact of their own internal processes. Um, and let's begin in the beginning. There's an idea that the Gemara says that man was created. You know, the, the classic description of the creation story is that man is this composite of two diverse entities. On the one hand, he is comprised of the earth, and on the other hand, he's comprised of this heavenly soul. And when the spirituality and the material are fused together, the consequence is the existence of this being called man, or humanity. Now, there's an interesting point. The Gemara asks, which point of the earth, of the world, which pre-existed before the creation of man, which point of that world did the dust come from, that man was created from? Now, it's fascinating that the Gemara even asked that question, but it does. And it says, it comes from the point upon which the Holy of Holies um, was located. Or, saying it better, it comes, sorry, it comes from the place where the, where the altar stood. And, um, you know, and because it will act, the altar was a form of atonement, and this earth will act as an atonement. The fact that man was created from that place will act as an atonement for man, which which seems completely um, incoherent. What in the world does that mean? So the Maral presents that the place where the Mizbeach, the altar, stood, was looked upon as the, the central point in the earth. I mean, just even from a geographical perspective, you look at Israel, it's almost in the middle of the world. Um, and in the middle of Israel, there's this place called the 
Temple Mount, and in the middle of the Temple Mount there's a place where the Mizbech stood. And the way the Maral indicates that this is valuable because he says the middle is always the balance. It doesn't go to either extreme. In other words, the middle is the point where everything is in sync with everything else. It's the point of balance. That's how he refers to it. So, the reason why man was created from the middle of the earth, as it were, is because then he would have a sense of what balance would feel like. And he'd have a point of return to that state because that's where he stemmed from. I'll just develop this a little bit more. The, the word for a person who does tshuva, he's called a shav, shin bet, uh, which means a returner. But the Maral points out that the letters Shin and Bet, now this is a um, very oft-used method of deriving meaningful words, is by their location in the Hebrew Aleph base. Where they fit in the Aleph Bet indicates, uh, apart from many other things, um, for example, the Hebrew, the Hebrew al- alphabet is not only a system of of writing, it's also a system of numbers. So the sequence is significant. In, in English, it doesn't make a difference if the, the alphabet theoretically began with C or T or M. It wouldn't make a difference because the English letters are only used for reading and not for numbering. But the Hebrew letters are numbers. Aleph is one, Bet is two, etc. So the sequence is crucial. So very often we'll derive lessons from the location of given letters in the alphabet. The most famous example, which I think many of many people know, is that the word emet, emet which means reality, is the first, the middle, and the last letter of the alphabet. Which means reality, which is emet or truth, is the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's when you are able to perceive the entirety of the picture, that's when you can get a true perspective. Whereas sheker, of the shinkuf and resh, are the three last letters of the Hebrew alphabet, because that's to indicate that they're a distorted perspective because they're only seeing one view. When you only see one view of something, inevitably it's illusionary. It's false. It's not, it's not true because <coughs> it's skewed. It's tunnel vision. So that's one example. That's quite a famous example, but the, Ram, the Maral says that Shav is also indicative because it's, Shin is the second last letter of the alphabet, and bet is the second is the second letter. So the second letter and the second last letter combine to present the idea of a person going doing chuva. And the moral explains why. He says the reason why it stops at chin doesn't go all the way to tough because tough is the out extreme, and that would mean a person flies too far away from the core. He's, he's too he's too near the edge, and the reason why he doesn't go back to aleph is because a person and this is so profound a person is already there. The Aleph is the starting part of the person. It's his essence. It's his core. And therefore, when he returns, he goes back to Bet. Because Bet is the stage after his essential being. A stage after his core. But because he has the core already there, it's not difficult for him to return. Because, in another way, another metaphor, because he was created from the middle, he can readjust himself and realign himself to his core-balanced state. Um, which means that the process of tshuva is really a process of realignment, of literally return to a more stable and harmonious state of being, which then corresponds to this idea of that 
Tshuva brings refua. Tshuva brings healing to the world. The Maral again explains that disease and sickness is when the human body malfunctions. It's not in balance. It's disharmonious. It's in discord. And therefore, when you do tshuva, what you're doing is you're returning yourself and since you're a part of the world, you are having an impact on the world around you that's recreating fundamental balance. Fundamental balance restores the world to a state of harmony, which is the opposite to a state of disease and sickness. So when a person does tshuva, the impact he has in a almost in an energy field sense, is that he restores, he brings a balancing energy into the world, apart from, of course, the personal impact that brings a, a um, balancing energy inside to himself. So now I think the starting point of when we view tshuva, we view it as a rebalance, and our distortion, I think, is, is, is paramount. Because when we think about the actual practicalities of doing tshuva, which very often means um, sometimes a radical change in lifestyle, we often think upon it as causing imbalance in our life. Right now, um, I'm habituated in not being careful about what I say about other people. For me to make the extreme step to be conscious of my words, that seemingly would create an imbalance with me, with my relationships, with my own thought processes and the way I use my words. Um, if I were to think about, let's say, um, davening more, or saying brochas, or um, being careful um, about my thoughts, or, or where my eyes would wander to, any, any kind of tshuva process actually, on the surface, would appear to be creating an imbalance in terms of my own internal emotional equilibrium. And for the Maral to to frame it as actually tshuva is a return to balance, um, I think is very, very counterintuitive. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a very powerful point that the Maral makes. So I, I want to perhaps maybe suggest how this could work in terms of perceiving Chuva as a regaining of balance and not a departure from balance. And um, I'd like to present a probably the most famous piece in Likute Moran, which is the works of Ibn Nachman of Breslav. His most famous work is um, his most famous piece in his work, Likute Moran, is in Reish Pei Base. Uh, 282 that's the that's the number of the piece and he speaks about judging people favorably and he says two astonishing chidushim, new ideas, innovations the first one I find even more surprising than the second one the first one is as follows he says when you look at people very often we pass judgment on them. We look at a person, we say, oh, why is that guy so, so lazy, so dishonest, so arrogant, so whatever. What happens if you see a person that is so evil that when you look at him, you can barely see any room for, for any 
element of goodness in him. He calls him a Rasha Gomer, a completely wicked person. And you see this completely wicked person, a Jew, and you look at this Jew and you say, well, this guy's got no good in him. He says, do you know what you should do when you see this Jew? You should look harder. Because it's impossible that in that person's lifetime, there wasn't a point when he did something good. Even one thing. So let's say, you know, you, you look at this guy and you think this guy's like rotten and he's like, um, he's really um, selfish and he's corrupt and he's uh, manipulative and he's got these things. And then, and then you see that, you know, that's all true. But he also, he fired a person from his work, but then he was careful to make sure that um, he was taken care of and his family was taken care of even though that wasn't part of the contract. Now, when you see that action, which in the context of this person's life is literally almost um, trivial and it's totally enveloped by clouds and black clouds of, of negative behavioral patterns, but you see that, that point of light. He says, focus on that point of light. Focus on that point of light and look at it as if that point of light is like a sun that pierces the clouds, that even when the, there's complete cloud covering of the earth, so the, the light is dark and gloomy and gray, and then there's a break in the clouds, and you have these rays of light which just pierce through. Look at that good action as a reflection of the innermost depth of this person who appears to be evil and recognize that that is a window into his self and that beneath that darkness there's a shining light of a Jew literally absolutely obstructed from shining out and focus on that and have the faith and the belief that beneath all this exterior there's a deeply beautiful pristine person he says when you do that something magical happens and it really is magical he says, you change the person that you're thinking about. And your thoughts actually alter his relationship to himself and Hashem's relationship to him. And he says, you actually, you shift him. You have the power. I think often the, you know, the, the, the looking at a person like that is called an ayin tova, a good eye. But the word, the Hebrew word ayin, means a spring. And a spring is a source of life, water, that gushes forth from the earth. So when we look at our eyes, we actually look at our eyes as influences. We look at them as having the power to draw out from the reality different, different aspects, different components. And one of the ways we can, as it were, shift the reality is by using our eye to draw out new innovations of what people are. So the first thing Rav Nachman says is that you can transform him through your perception of him. And by looking at him and by engaging in him, you can actually bring out the goodness inside of him. That's, um, that's, that's what he says as a step one, which I find extremely, extremely surprising and... Um, you know, I, I can't say that I've spent time practicing it, but it's a very exciting f thing for me to think about because um, 
It's almost as if, you know, we think about how we can help people. And you, this, this approach shows that we can help people by thinking about them differently. And obviously this goes from people who are external to us, but even in our own very immediate circle. The way we look at our children, the way, the way we look at our spouses, the way we look at our relatives and our friends. So we can look at them in very different ways. We can look at them as essentially these incredible human beings and their bad behavior, bad behavior sometimes is just an obstruction that shuts out the light. But the more we connect to the light and recognize obstruction as an aberration to their essence, the more we change them. Um, first of all, on I suppose a spiritual level, we, physic- we spiritually alter their, their state. But also, I think, on an emotional and a relationship level, we, we respond to them very differently. Because remember that when we relate to people, we're really relating to our vision of that person. When we respond to a person, we're relating to the thoughts about that person that we have in our head. We're not relating to the person. So if I go into a room and I've just been thinking amazing positive thoughts about the person, I feel a sense of warmth and togetherness with the person. And I just want to like add in something that the Vilna Gaon says on his commentary in Mishle. There's a verse in Mishle which says, um, Kamayim ponim el ponim Kain leva odom el odom Like Water is to a face, so to is the heart of one person to another. Meaning, just like when I look at my reflection in a clear pond, and when I smile, the reflection smiles back at me, the hearts of people are interconnected, and when I feel positive towards someone else, they'll reciprocate with positivity. And the God says, this is even if they're nowhere near me. But when I change my feelings about the person, I change their feelings about me. And the whole dynamic shifts dramatically. So this is also another amazing kind of area of um, exploration where we can unilaterally, from our side, really have an incredibly positive impact on our immediate and even extended environment. Simply by seeing people differently and feeling differently about them, we can transform them and us. And obviously on a practical level, when you've been thinking that a person's amazing and you walk into their presence, everything they say and everything they do, you relate to in a very different way. Because the way we feel is based on the thoughts that we're having in our mind at that time. And if the thoughts I'm having about my, in my mind is like, wow, this guy's great. Um, so then I respond in the moment in a very different way, which is if I'm thinking, wow, this person's like really lousy. And when you think a person's really lousy, what happens is you just see lousiness. And when you think a person's really amazing, you just see amazingness. So that's kind of the first part that Reb Nachman puts across, this idea of... Um, the way we look at people and how that changes them. And even in a person who seems to be almost opaque in his goodness, we can, we'll be able to find a small piercing in that armor, and from that we'll be able to get an insight into the great light that shines behind uh, the parent's cover or darkness. Step number one.
Step number two, Rabbi Nachman then says, now look at yourself. And when you look at yourself, you'll probably struggle to find, you may struggle to find your, your greatness, your goodness, your beauty, your um, power of self, your purity. And you may just be confronted instead of seeing as you look deep inside of yourself beauty and um, purity, you may see darkness and um, negativity and selfishness and haughtiness and all these other bad traits. So he says what you have to do is you have to go deeper. And this is the kind of process which, I mean, I would encourage you. I think this could be an exercise. Find yourself in a, in a quiet space and ask yourself if you can find something good that you've done. It could be recently, it could be in the past. And ask yourself for an action that you've done which is good. So, okay, let's, um, let's do that. So I'm going to ask you to think in your, in your mind Think in your mind about something that you've done, could be recent or could be in the past, historical, and think about an action that you've done, a good action that you've done. Give you some time to do that. Okay, so now what may have happened to you, um, which I think may happen to a lot of people, is when you're searching through your mind for something good that you've done, what may happen is you'll say, oh, one second, no, 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 that wasn't so good because of this and this reason. And then you think about something else, you say, yeah, but that was because of that. Did you have that experience? Yeah, so I think that's pretty normal. And it's a fascinating point because it's almost a inner, you know, they, they, it's referred to sometimes as an inner critic, but a destructive energy that seems hell-bent on destroying our sense of appreciating that we are good and pure. And it will almost take everything that we do and relegate it to being, no, really second grade at best as opposed to thinking, wow, isn't it amazing? And that power to deprecate, self-deprecate, is a power which ironically creates the ego, or creates the sense of self separate to our spiritual core and to our connection to the Boya Olam, to Hashem. Because the more we criticize our actions the more we feel that we are essentially separate from Hashem and that our actions are in discord with the spiritual truth and connection. So actually, the more we become self-deprecating and the more we become like critical of who we are, the more we separate ourselves, firstly from our essence and secondly from Hashem. And in order for us to regain 
which is kind of the pathway which I'm trying to move to, like Chiva is a return to the authentic self, we have to find a method of overcoming this almost overpowering criticism which deprives us from recognizing the beauty of who we are. So this is what Reb Nachman advocates. Find something, and as the inner critic interrupts and objects to the good thing you found, instead of trying to fight it and trying to argue it, and I, I am okay, you just say, thank you for that insight, and then you continue focusing on that good deed. So for example, as, as, as a random example, I'll give an example that, um, that I thought of. I was on the bus, and um, there was a pregnant lady, and I moved off my seat so that she could sit down. Now, that's like, okay, that's not like, you know, rocket scientist chesed. It's a tiny thing. It's not a big deal. I'm Baruch Hashem, fully healthy and able. I can stand up, and she's probably under stress. Let her sit down. It's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. And if I look at it, it's not a big deal, you know, the inner critic may say something like, oh, what do you, what do you mean, what do you expect? I mean, like, you're not inhuman, you know, you're, like, you're, you're a human being, so you should have some kind of compassion. But that's the wrong direction. Instead of making it small, I want to make it big. Because I want to use it as a window to see what I am. So what I do, I say, wow, look at that. And right now I'm looking at it, this is the words of, of Nachman, I'm looking at it as a nekudak tana, a tiny point. A tiny point, and the kudatova, a tiny good point, and it's a tiny good point in myself. But what do I do? Is I look at the tiny good point as a star. What a star is is I look into the heavens, and it's a tiny little speck of light. But the only reason why it's a speck of light is because I'm so far away from it. Really, that star is huge. It's a gigantic ball of fire. So what do I do? Is I go into space travel mode and I try to get a little bit closer to that star. Or I polish the diamond of the small little point. And I say, isn't it amazing? What do you see, speaking to myself, what do you see, parrots, about your relationship to other people? So I answer and I say, well, I see that I care about them. Isn't it amazing? I continue speaking to myself and saying, isn't it amazing? Do you realize you like love people and that the fact that they are their discomfort moves you? You don't want them to have that? And you're kind of like, yes, that's what I'm like. And then you challenge yourself and you say, can you, can you find another example of that? And then I say to myself, I can, because tonight when I build the kettle, like, I thought about my wife, if she wanted a hot wet drink. So you say, wow, look at this. And now this is another star. And then you say to yourself, can you think of a, another example of that? And I say to myself, yes, it was today there was a guy who was in, like, going through a hard time, and I, I thought of this idea that would really help him out. And you go, wow, that's amazing. And then what happens is the accumulation of these nekudot tovot, these nekudot tovot, these little good points, start to form this galaxy of bright, shining lights. And slowly but surely, it starts to shift my perception of myself. And, um, and as it shifts this perception of myself, and I become a different person, I'm actually 
engaging in the process of tshuva. Because what is tshuva? Tshuva is reclaiming myself. And what is myself? Well, myself is that pure, undiluted ball of goodness. But it's been obstructed. What's it been obstructed by? Ironically, it's been obstructed by my misperception of my own beauty, of my own pristine quality, of my own purity, of my own kindness, of my own power to self-restrain. Each one of these um, beautiful koichos, energies that I have inside of myself, um, exist. Mind the dramatic background sounds? Everyone's safe. Um, <laughs> so it, it allows me the power to, to see myself differently. And then, then it creates a balance and not a discord. What we began with was the supposition that moving towards a different kind of behavior is a departure from self and will create imbalance. And what we're presenting now is it's actually a return to oneself and will create balance. Because I think we can all understand that our state of emotional wellness, when we feel that we're good, is vastly different from our state of emotion when we feel that we fundamentally messed up the whole time. And the deeper we recognize this beauty of self, the closer we come back to ourselves, obviously the closer we come to the Bar Olam, and that's what Shiva is about. And the amazing thing is, remember the Maral, Shav, we have the Aleph inside of us. We have to bring ourselves back to the Bet, which is a point next to the Aleph. But the core is there. We're not creating, we're revealing. The self is already beautiful and pristine. The problem is it's become obstructed. It's been obstructed by the distortions of our own perceptions and when we can relinquish the bondage which is self-imposed of a negative perception of our greatness we can transform ourselves in a way which could be healthy and balanced so that's kind of to just go over the steps a presentation of an approach to tshuva the idea is as follows the idea is that tshuva is a healing process and it should create a better sense of well-being, not a worse. How can that be? Surely as I depart from a state of comfort, it's going to create an imbalance? Well, yes and no. Perhaps my state of comfort is actually imbalanced and the state I'm going to be returning to is a greater state of balance. So that sounds absurd, but when we start to process it, that actually could be true. Because we all recognize that when we feel good about ourselves, we're happier, we're content, we have a greater power to give to others. Our resilience emotionally is much stronger. Um, our appreciation is much more present. So actually, maybe this is an approach. And the way we get there is by searching out inside of ourselves the nekudot tovot, the good parts. Now this would be a revolution in our approach to tshuva. Because normally when people approach tshuva, they think about everything that went wrong in the previous year. And I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. So actually sometimes our pursuit of tshuva can be self-destructive. Um, because 
as we seek all these bad things that we've done in the year, instead of presenting a picture of ourselves as this pristine, connected, powerful, spiritual being, we start to wallow in the sense of hopeless despair because we can't do anything right. Um, so it could be that this process or this step of tshuva is way more fundamental and perhaps primary, meaning it should come first in a sequence of how we do tshuva. And we first have to recognize the beauty and the brilliance and the power through searching through our life for these nukudot tovot, these great tiny little spots which are stars and when you focus on them and you dwell on them and you meditate on them just take one action, one action and just think about the beauty in that one action. It can be a trivial action. You know, it could be something as you said hello to someone when you pass them. What does that show? It shows that you're sensitive. It shows that you appreciate other people around you. It shows that you want to give a sense of goodwill to people. And you think about that and you meditate on that beauty of your actions. And you think, that's amazing. That's beautiful. And not in terms of a haughtiness or an arrogance, but in terms of a recognition of something which is my birthright. And that's the pr- process of tshuva, initially. Now, once we've achieved that, then there can be a secondary stage where we start to be able to be open to the negative parts or the negative actions we've come. But to engage in the negative actions before we've created a solid, healthy, stable platform of who we really are can actually be completely counterproductive. So I think that's um, an idea and approach. And maybe in the course of the next week, um, I, want, I want you guys to do that as an exercise. If you can find some time where you can just start to think about good things you've done. And it could be even be writing them down and then meditate on them and start to accumulate list after list, point after point, until we shift ourselves to a different state of appreciation of who we are. And then we'll see what the next stage could be. Um, So, thank you for your rapt attention. Are there any questions?